Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode from the Embellish Pod. And it's an opportunity for me to ramble about whiskey or something for a few minutes. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com. And I'll try to get that taken care of. You can also find the video versions of this podcast on YouTube. Uh, you can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or TikTok with the exact same handle. Um, I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Um, the growing trend on social media right now is to put together your top 10, top 20, top 30 drinks of the year, uh, whatever those things happen to be. Uh, and I don't really... I don't really like that. And then there's another group of people that are making, you know, the, the, the worst drinks that they had in 2023. And, um, I don't really want to do either of those things. So I guess maybe what I'm going to do is kind of wrap up the year with a couple of suggestions, wrap up the year. It's almost, uh, the end of January. Um, some suggestions and some brands to watch out for in 2024, some that I really hope to have discussions with in 2024. Uh, but before I do that, we'll go through uh, some recommendations. Right now, um, negging seems to be a pretty significant trend. There's a whole lot of folks that are uh, talking about things that were disappointing in 2023, and I have my fair share of those. Um, there's a particular bottle that I was really, really looking forward to in 2023, and um, it just didn't measure up. Now, I'll go back to that three or four more times before I finally kind of put a pin in the thought that I don't really care for it, but um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. And so we see these lists, people are saying, this is bad, this is bad. There's very few things in the North American marketplace that are actually bad. Um, most of the times it's just disappointing. It's something that you were looking out for. Um, is it faltered or did it just not hit my palate specifically? And so, uh, seeing other people that say they really like something that I dislike. Cool. I'm great that that product fit your profile. And that's the other reason why I don't like suggesting bottles. It is you, do, if you don't have my palate and I don't have your palate, We'll never come to the same conclusion on a bottle. Um, you know, there is an influence pattern where I can say, this is really good. And if you like me, you may tend to agree with me. If you dislike me, you may tend to disagree with me. None of it really matters. Um, there are brands, I think, that you should keep an eye out for because they're doing interesting and fun things. And I don't necessarily have to like what they're doing to kind of get there. Um, we don't always have to be positive. About what we taste, you know, from an influencer or a podcaster or a social media personality. Um, but why spend time on the negative impact? I mean, it, it, it'll absolutely get clicks. Um, there's some controversy surrounding a couple of bottles in the marketplace right now, and uh, it's largely negative. And absolutely, I could make, um, make a recording on either one of those things and it would likely get a significant amount of views. But at the end of the day, I think that's a little bit altruistic and it's really about growing your influence as opposed to actually informing. So this is going to be super boring. This is going to be something that maybe uh, not everybody's here for, but I hope you, um, hope you find at least some of this informational for you this year. <clears throat> so, uh, one of the things that I would like to recommend to you in 2024 is go to events find a podcast or a YouTube channel um, that does meetups, uh, find an event that's that's nearby. There are tons of festivals um, and the, there's nowhere else that you can find the ability to try so many whiskeys for cheap that'll help broaden your palate and broaden your understanding of what's going on in the marketplace. Uh, there's a whole lot of things that happen in the Midwest, on the East Coast, the West Coast. There is some type of a whiskey festival within a few hours drive of you. And I think that if, you know, you're really passionate about spirits in North America, it's something that you'd absolutely do. Now, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't at least pump up uh, one of my favorites. Um, Kentucky Bourbon Festival is set for September the 13th through the 15th of 2024. Um, you can go to Kentucky Bourbon Festival's website and you can sign up for updates and um, kind of be aware of what's going to happen. It becomes a who's who in at least the bourbon marketplace in North America. Uh, and, you know, VIP tickets go super fast. Beyond that, it's just an overall fantastic event, and there's a couple of videos. It's actually three of them now. I've been to three different ones um, twice on my own dime. Once I was invited as a media personality, which you know I, you can call it for what it is, but those are those are things that you should you should do. You know, if if you're passionate about these types of things, absolutely go do those things. 
the next recommendation that I'm going to make is participate in subscription services. Uh, subscription services give you the opportunity to try um, things specific from a brand that they have either selected for you, some limited allocations, or maybe they open up a more of a private catalog for you um, to try out their offerings. And the, the four that I'm going to talk about, I've personally participated in, and I can uh, recommend them if they're available in your area, because there's a couple of them that are very restricted as far as the states that they're allowed to. And I'm in a significantly regressive state in the state of Kentucky, where um, even some retailers who used to be able to ship to Kentucky can no longer do so. But we'll start with um, a brand that I think is making a whole lot of, of noise in the marketplace, High West. Uh, they have a lot of really interesting offerings. Um, and through the course of this year, I've been able to acquire um, their single malt, their campfire, their midwinter's night dram, and then the prisoner share, which is their most recent allocated bottle offering. Now, um, you also have the opportunity to get their standard bourbon, their double rye, the rendezvous rye. Um, throughout the year, they send multiple shipments to you, uh, and you can choose to skip one if you need to. Um, the The cost of the the boxes can vary based off of what's going to come in and how many you can get, but it's a really interesting way to get introduced to their particular product line. Um, if you're only interested in it for one year, maybe that's a great opportunity for you to um, you know, kind of spend one year, you, you do your subscription service, you get a little bit of everything, and then uh, you move on to another subscription service. Now, uh, most of these are limited in their um, uh, amount of partip participants that they allow for. And so whether this is open or not can vary, but uh, I would recommend getting on email lists with all of these folks. And if a spot comes open, likely there's a chance that you can um, participate in that. So uh, High West is the first one. Westward. Westward has a whiskey club as well. Um, theirs is a little bit different, right? And this is in the American single malt realm. And this is, you know, something that I think everyone should be paying attention to. I think it's a segment that is super interesting. And, you know, hopefully this year we'll get an opportunity to talk to the folks from Westward about what they get, what they're doing out there. Um, but with this particular one, they open up a, a catalog of limited release items that might not be available as standard shelf pours. Now they have a ton of cask finishing things, um, but this year I was able to acquire uh, one of the sourdough um, whiskeys that they have. Um, and basically they're using uh, some of the yeast starter from a sourdough batch from a prominent sourdough maker um, to generate a whiskey out of it. And I think that's, you know, that's the kind of innovation we're all sort of looking forward um, to, to try to see happen in the, in the whiskey marketplace. But this club is, is, is in a similar fashion where you can self-select what bottles you want. Um, it, it, it's, it's just a way to sort of broaden your, what, what is offered on your shelf and what is a part of your palate. Now, the next one I've been a member of since they started, and this is the Whiskey Drop by Maker's Mark. And um, we can talk over what they've had this year, but they've they've done a ton of really interesting things with this. And uh, Maker's Mark is one of those brands that for a long time sort of stayed um, in the normal vein of just making whiskey. you know. And, and then they started diversifying a little bit with 46, and now they're starting to do all of these barrel finishing projects and advanced age projects and, and whatnot. And um, I really appreciate what's happening here. Now, sometimes these things aren't exactly what you would be after, and sometimes they're uh, great for you. And so if you look throughout the year, there's been the uh, barrel entry proof, a 46 cask strength, um, two selections, right? So two stave finish selections. And this is the big one for the year. This is where um, you get Maker's Mark cast strength, which is always a deal. But uh, everybody that was a part of this also got an opportunity to get a cellar aged bottle. And that was probably the most touted release from Maker's Mark that came out in 2024. And I would suspect if they do, or sorry, in 2023, I would suspect if they do another one in 24, the whiskey drop folks will get access to this. Now, this club is very limited and the number and the region where this can go. And so Kentucky and I think um, D.C. and maybe a handful of other places are the only ones that have this opportunity. But if it is available, um, I think it's a really good idea to see what's happening with a heritage brand and how they are continuing to innovate um, 
in the North American marketplace. And then the last one, uh, Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. This, you know, I, I was lucky enough to have the folks from um, Scotch Malt Whiskey Society America join me on an episode back in 2022, I think, uh, and talk through what they're doing. And I've continued my membership with them. Um, it, Scotch whiskey. And if you watched last week's episode and you know, if you've seen the episode that I did with uh, Maureen Robinson from Kentucky Owl, Scotch whiskey can be intimidating to the traditional bourbon drinker. But what Scotch Malt Whiskey Society is doing is they are trying to take some of that mystique out of it and make it available to us to better understand what it is we are buying and what it is that um, – we're after without having the mystique of the brands that are on the label. Um, independent bottling is is a significant tradition within the Scotch realm, and <clears throat> this just takes it a step further, where they give you specific tasting notes and they give it a name, and they have um, a wonderful community, and they have the opportunity to try a whole lot of different things. And it's not always just Scotch that they have available, but. Um, I don't think you can do much better if you're wanting to explore scotch in 2024 and you have not done it yet. I don't think you can do a whole lot better than trying to join this particular club. Um, subscription services, like I said, I think it's a great opportunity uh, for you to try a whole lot of things that you've never tried before. Now, the, those are a couple of tangible recommendations. Um, the next one. It's not going to be a recommendation. It'll eventually being a, being a recommendation, but uh, I see this pretty prevalent, and I'm starting to see some distillers push back on this, and I'm really, really enjoying this. But for, for tasters and influencers, um, especially in the bourbon marketplace, if you are tasting a bourbon that has a mash bill of higher than 70% corn, and your indication is that this is corny. It tastes too corn. It's too, too sweet corn. Just fuck off. Like that's what it is. It is corn distillate. That's what it was made for. That's how it was made. Uh, trying to say you shouldn't taste the grain. That's, that's the artistry of it. The barrel influence is additive flavor, but at the end of the day, it's like saying this pancake tastes too pancakey. I want more syrup. That's absolutely ridiculous. But what does that even mean? Let's just take it a step further. What does too corny even mean? Is it corn syrup? Is it sweet corn? Is it cream corn? Is it field corn? Is it cornstarch? Is it corn pudding? Is it cornbread? Like, what's the corn note, right? What is it that you're actually talking about? Be a little more descriptive in the thing that you think is a fault and give us a good description of it. But it's predominantly corn whiskey. So why would you not expect to taste that as a part of the flavor profile? And if you don't like the taste of corn, maybe you don't like bourbon. Like that's okay. You can just say, I don't like bourbon um, because I don't like the taste of corn. Perfectly fine. You, there, there's rye, there's single malt, there's wheat whiskey. There's an abundance of things for you to try out there. Just starting with there's too much corn doesn't make a ton of sense. But the other side of it is, I can give you two different things called cornbread, and they're going to taste very, very different, right? And so this is the nuance of trying to give a flavor profile. I've always, I've always used um, banana in the past, right? Because banana could be banana pudding, it could be banana runts, it could be a banana underripe banana, an overripe banana, banana bread. But I think I'm going to start using corn as the prime example because it's corn-based whiskey, and it should have some degree of corn flavor to it. And if you don't like corn whiskey, move on. It's perfectly fine. But beyond that, we don't have the same palate, right? I, you're never going to know exactly what I mean unless I'm super descriptive and saying too much corn is too generic. Um, unless I participate in a plethora of barrel picks or I drink a whiskey and I tell you what my notes are and you have drank that whiskey prior to me telling you those notes and our notes line up perfectly, then maybe we can have some sort of a mind meld where the things that we taste are the exact same thing. No, that's not how it works. Uh, I think it, it's just a pointless conversation. It, it's, it, it's, it's something that we're wasting a whole lot of time on now. Um, I think what's more useful What's more useful is to have the conversation about brands that we should all be watching out for because of innovation or because of some other unique thing they're specifically doing. 
in that vein. So my recommendation is stop talking about corn. It's a corn whiskey. If it's a rye whiskey and there's too much corn in it, that makes sense. You know, I had a really interesting conversation with Nick from Found North where we talk about uh, when you distill corn and rye, rye yields less alcohol from the volume of mash than corn does. And so even in a Kentucky rye, which is 51% rye and 49% corn, let's just say we're likely getting more corn distillate. And so it's actually closer to a bourbon than it is anything else. But if you're talking about anything else with a predominant grain, it makes sense to say, okay, there's too much corn in this rye whiskey. Got it. Perfect. That's a great note to give. But if there's too much corn in your bourbon, maybe drink tequila. I don't really know. Anyways, I'm, I'm digressing pretty significantly. Uh, the next thing I want to talk through, 2023 best tastes, right? Um, this, is, this is the thing. This is the thing that everybody has been doing uh, is talking about the best things that they had. And I, just, I do want to share with you, I did, I did some work. I did some work. I work. That's such a misnomer. I took some time to taste through a whole lot of things from 2023 that I wanted to kind of give a rating, but this is a very straightforward. Most of them were done blind. There's nose palette finish. It's either plus one, zero minus one. That's it. You know, good, bad, or indifferent. And then there's a bonus section because I think that there's something that might be unique that's happening um, in this particular um, in this particular whiskey that I tried. And so I went through and tasted roughly 80 different bourbons that I was able to have whiskeys. Let's back up 80 different whiskeys that I was able to have throughout 2023. Right. And so I generate this, this huge um, spreadsheet. I say huge, it's really not that huge, but I generate the spreadsheet that walks through the plus one, minus one, zero ranking, there is, you know, toasted and finished. Booker's and ECBP live on their own. Amburana, rye, American single malt, smoked whiskeys, high rye bourbons, Tennessee whiskey, you know, all of these different things. And, and with the intent to bring forward brands that you should pay attention to in 2024, because what they put out in 23 was either good or on the edge of, it was great or on the edge of being great. Um, or they're doing something that's that's unique in the marketplace. And so um, <laughs> that this was fun and not fun at the same time. The one caveat here is that there is a mixture of bottles that I've purchased and bottles that um, companies have provided to me, as well as some samples from other podcast and YouTube friends that I purchased or that, that they purchased or were given, you know, whatever. Um, if you watch through this and you take objection and you want to know which one's which I'll absolutely tell you. Um, I don't think that it really matters significantly because at the end of the day, um, I'm not going to go over the ones that I think were bad. And somebody could have provided me something that I thought was bad or just didn't hit my palate appropriately. Um, but the one thing that I learned from this is that there are three things that you should not be distracted by in 2024. Do not be distracted by age statement. There are, and we're going to see this very early in 2024, um, ECBP last year. So Elijah Craig Barrel Proof for the folks that may be new that don't know anything about it. Um, it's their annual series that they do. They do three releases a year. It's A123, B523, and C923. Well, in the beginning of 2023, it was announced that they were going to remove the 12 year restriction on the release with the intent of just making sure that the blend they do is the best blend they could do. And so they put out a sub 12 year, uh, in 2023. And at the end of the year, they put out a over 13 year, I think is, is what it ended up being in C923. Everybody went nuts over and like, Oh, it's over 13 years old. They have already released the age statement for a124 and it's going to be sub 10 years i think or maybe right at 10 years i'm not sure um and a lot of people are going to get distracted by that but the thing is you got to stop paying attention to that because at the end of the day age statement means almost nothing you can make some correlations if you get above 13 years you're probably going to have a lot of oak flavor if you get below five years you're probably going to have a lot of um spikiness to it but anything in between 
If they're building a blend, let them do their artwork. Let them do their jobs, the things that we've trusted them to do for years and years, and then judge it without thinking about the age statement because most of us are not sophisticated enough to understand the difference between 12 years and 13 years and 11 years and 10 years. And uh, at the end of the day, we're looking for, is this good, bad, or indifferent? And that's why I set my ranking scale as negative one, zero, one. I either liked it, I didn't like it, or I was indifferent from each of those particular realms. And you can make your ranking system as complicated and convoluted as you absolutely want to, and you can take into account pricing and do a whole bunch of stuff. But at the end of the day, um, I just need to know if I liked it or not. And then I can consider whether it was worth what I paid for it. Specifically, if I liked it, but only sort of liked it, and I paid a bunch of money for it, maybe it's not great. But if I liked it a lot and I paid a bunch of money, great. If I liked it a lot and I paid a little bit of money, even better, right? So neither here nor there, a little bit of a digression, age statement, don't pay attention to it next year. Just don't. Just it's it's it is it's one of the most worthless things we can be doing. Non-distilling producers, don't be distracted by that. And I don't mean don't pay attention to them. I mean there are some of the best whiskeys coming out of NDPs in 2023. Um, blending is being more and more recognized as an art form, and I think we should all do a hard due diligence to sort of uh, support and approve of this particular behavior. This is huge in other whiskey realms. The idea of creating unique and specific blends, uh, whether it be in wine, whether it be in scotch, whether it be in Japanese whiskey, blending doesn't have this dirty, dirty, uh, dirty connotation to it. Now, not to say that blended whiskey is the thing you should be looking for, but don't be as concerned about NDPs as much as about are they trying to create something that's artful. Now, if it's just a, a house who is buying MGP barrels, uh, slapping a label on it, selling it, eh, maybe that's something that you can think about. But at the end of the day, back to the original statement, do you like it or do you not like it? Do you feel like you got ripped off or not? And then the last one, craft labels. And I've got craft in quotations. Don't be distracted by that because uh, it's got this, it's got, it also has a negative connotation to it, but that has to change. There are over 2000 um, distilleries in the United States. And I think there's probably over 2000 craft distilleries in the United States. They're putting out and doing some of the most unique things. Sometimes it's 100% their distillate. Sometimes it is a blend of their distillate and, and um, a larger distillery that they've purchased from. Any number of things. Are they being artful in what they're creating? That's the question you have to answer. And so don't get distracted by age statements, NDPs, or craft labels. They're, the, the focus is, did I like this? That's all it is. So <clears throat> going through what 2023 looks like. Um, you know, I was able to taste, I'll, I'll run through the list of folks that I was, that I was able to, to have a taste from. And anybody that I talk about is going to have a score higher than two, right? So it's three or higher. Um, and that effectively means that at least two of the categories, I gave it a positive value on whether it be nose palette finish or bonus. <clears throat> And there's a whole bunch of them that are in the two realm, which means that I liked either the nose and the palette or the nose and the finish or the finish and the palette, right? And that could be enough for a lot of people. But if I'm trying to narrow this down from 79 to <clears throat> a handful, I have to have some sort of a standard. And so I said eh, three and above indicates that this is really, really good. Um, but so for standard bourbon, we're going to call the standard bourbon. I didn't do a ton of research to make sure that the mash bills are all you know, wheated or high rye or low rye or whatever, but <clears throat> I was able to try through these particular brands, right? So Milam and Green, uh, Ben Holiday, Wheel Horse, Samuel Maverick, uh, Filibuster, Garrison Brothers, Green River, Old Ezra, um, Maker's Mark, Kentucky Owl, Frank August, Old Fitz, Barrel, and Wilderness Trail. It's just in the standard bourbon realm. And what I came out of that list is only one two only two brands came out of that with a score of zero or less right because you could end up with a total of a negative four on this um but only two brands came out of that and so all of those could be considered brands to pay attention to but we're going to focus on the ones that were fours and threes and we'll start with fours and then go down to threes um and in maybe no necessarily no particular order we're going to 
talk specifically about the ones that came in at a score of a four, which means that nose palette finish were all plus one. And there was something extra about this particular offering that um, caused me to pay attention. Right. And the first one, going back to the don't be distracted by um, age statements is very, very straightforward. We have Frank August. <clears throat> Frank August is distinctly a non-distilling producer. And they are making what I would quantify or qualify as one of the most surprising whiskeys that I had in 23. I had a whole lot of people in 22 that were starting to kind of pump this up and say, hey, this is a brand to really pay attention to. Um, didn't get around to it until 2023, and it's one that I will now um, take with me, especially if I've got folks that are, you know, I'm going to a tasting and um, it's people, you know, you end up getting known as the whiskey guy and you show up with some bottles to, to try to have people taste through and they're like, oh, I want some Blantons or whatever. And I will take this and put this next to a Blantons all day long. If we blind it on them, they'll absolutely select it. It is a more elegant and better priced uh, whiskey in every, you know, form or factor. Um, it just, just caught me way off guard. The next one, <laughs> this one maybe won't be so much of a surprise. Uh, I've been really a fan of these folks and you may have noticed it because they've been on a couple of episodes, right? So barrel craft spirits knocked it out of the park on three to four distinct releases for me in 2024. And I think you need to pay, continue paying attention to what they're going to do in 2020 or sorry, in 2023, you need to continue to pay attention in 2024 with what they've got going on. This barrel foundation release is, is one of the best five year bottled and bond whiskeys that I've had in a while. Tastes distinctly older than that, but not in a bad way. And so, um, those are the, the, the four point earning whiskeys for 2024 for me. Now, the, the next set, the ones that, that got three points on this, whether it be nose palette finisher or the bonus value, um, and in no necessarily no particular order, and the ones that I'm not going to bring up are ones that everybody should already know about. Um, and, and at the top of that are going to be Old Fitz, uh, Maker's Mark, and Kentucky Owl. Um, all three of those had some fantastic releases in 2023. You should always be paying attention to them. And, and I'm not mentioning them because I think they're largely grown uh, enough to where uh, it may be another one I'll toss in on that same uh, same level is going to be Wilderness Trail, right? Because they're, I guess, technically now closer to a heritage distillery than they are a um, craft distillery. But for the other folks, the, the ones that really um, did something, I think, special in 2023, and this is not going to be a surprise to anybody, is specifically Holiday, um, Ben Holiday from, from Missouri, really caught some traction in 2024 um, between their soft red bottled and bond and um, this, this six-year bottled and bond as well as their cask strength releases, and they've got some some um, like ancient cave releases or something like that. Uh, they did they did some pretty uh, pretty fantastic things, and then and then maybe the the next one that we need to talk about is going to be um, Green River, right? Green River coming out of Owensboro, which used to be the Ozzy Tyler, um, has been making whiskey for a long, long time, but they just hit this rebranding. Um, they generated a significant buzz in the things that they were doing. Now their partnership with Barbstown Bourbon Company maybe pulls them out of that crafty realm. Um, you might have them on the wilderness trail edge of things, but um, these are all folks within what I would call the standard bourbon offering that you should be paying attention to going forward. Um, the the next level, the Tennessee whiskey, Jack Daniels did some more of their um, their releases that they do the um, the distillery exclusives or what are what are the ones that are like tequila finished or old shoe finished whatever they did a whole bunch of really interesting stuff with those things um, their ten and twelve year both were really good whiskeys they just weren't good enough for what I was um, thinking that they should be. 
Um, so then the next one that I that I'll bring up is going to be in what I would call the high rye realm. Um, kind of going in, these are four point whiskeys in the high rye realm. Uh, the first one is going to be uh, Fortuna. Uh, Fortuna coming from the folks at Rare Character. This and their Barrel Proof are both knocking it out of the park. Um, I was I just barely able to squeeze this one in to my 2023 taste. It was one of the last things I had in the year, and I was super glad that I um, was able to try it. Um, but in that same four-point score, there was a Wilderness Trail um family reserve cask that they did, which is a high rye bourbon. It was really good. Um, like I said, wilderness trail doesn't really necessarily sit on that craft realm anymore. So I don't know that they need me to pump them up or anything like that. But then dipping down into the three pointers, there is, um, George Remus highest rye. The Remus repeal reserve seven. It just didn't hit my taste buds well enough to be in that three realm. But their highest rye absolutely did. And then one that kind of caught me off guard a little bit is going to be Doc Swenson's. Doc Swenson's um, had a, a session uh, whiskey that I was able to taste. Now, I, I will put a caveat in here. Just because I tasted it in 23 doesn't mean it was made in 23. There may be things from 22 or 21 um, or from years ago. But the first time I was able to taste it was in 2023. But Doc Swenson's is doing some really, really... Um, interesting things with with whiskey finishing and whiskey blending and um a lot of stuff like that right so and i'm starting to speed up a little bit because this is running a little longer than i think probably anybody is going to want to watch through um the next realm that we're going to talk about is smoked whiskey and smoked whiskey specifically not scotch smoked whiskey in the north american marketplace um, is something that is gaining a little bit of credibility and traction. And so we see Spirits of French Lick has done something around smoke. Frey Ranch has. McCarthy's has been, been doing it a while. Santa Fe, Whiskey Del Bach. There's a whole host of people that are starting to explore using smoke in their whiskey. Um, and, and so I think it behooves us to talk about it. And so one of the first ones that we're going to come across, and I don't even know that they have it on their website, is Spirits of French Lick is, is doing... Um, a version of their whiskey called whiskey, Witch, which is uh, a smoked whiskey. And I wasn't a big smoke fan and I had the wonderful opportunity to partner um, with another podcast and doing a barrel selection that hasn't come out yet. And we tasted through a handful of things from um, the spirits of French lick. And I went in fully expecting to taste this dead last right next to some absinthe and then immediately say, no, this is not something that, that should be a part of the conversation. And ultimately, I ended up uh, in a place where it was like, hey, I think you should pick two of these barrels. There's another one, and then there's this one. And um, it, it's really interesting to see what's happening there. But the beyond that, I think that the next two that we're going to talk about, they weren't fours. But they were threes, right? And so they hit all of those things. And so um, Frey Ranch did a um, smoky corn whiskey this year. It was super, super interesting. It was um, was good on the nose and the palate for me, and it had a little something extra to it. The finish leaves, left a little bit to be kind of uh, held up for me. And then the last one um, for smoked whiskey is Santa Fe Spirits, the Colkegan, uh, cask strength specifically. This thing on the nose palette and finish, great. Just great. Um, I think it's going to be one I'm going to have to kind of revisit over and over again to, to make sure that I didn't miss something on this bonus number where I should they should have ended up with a four. But uh, realistically, this is one of the most interesting things that I was able to taste in 2023. Okay, so moving into American single malts. Um, in 2024, I talked to a lot of people about American single malts, and I think it's probably the space that has the most room for growth. And you're seeing people like, um, Jim Beam get into the mix with their Claremont Steep. Um, Driftless Glen is making one. Um, and you've got folks like, um, Jack Daniels, who's making a single malt as well. And so it's, it's growing very, very significantly in, in 20. Three, um, I got a chance to try a handful of brands, brand new 
uh, to me. And, and one of the things that um, kind of came out of that is, I, you know, I got a chance to try McCarthy's for the first time, which is smoked. And so um, they came in as a two in the last round, which means it's a good whiskey. It just wasn't enough to be in the top um, top rankings for me to discuss. But there are a couple of new players to me. And so I want to talk through their performance in 23 and why I think you should be paying attention to them. The first one um, is going to be maybe no surprise to anyone considering um, I got a chance to talk to them this year. Uh, we're going to, we're going to look at old line spirits and old line spirits is doing a whole bunch of um, really fun stuff. And they've got some things planned for 2024. I think that everyone should be paying attention to, but very specifically, um, the, um, the standard strength, this is the one that threw me way off is that their, their standard strength is at 95 proof. Um, and their, uh, old line Navy strength is at 114, the 114, um, set it at a two, almost three for me, but, um, I didn't want to, you know, I want to talk about one brand and since both of their American single malt offerings placed highly for me, um, they become the immediate forerunner in, um, surprising tastes for me the 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 standard strength the 95 proof old line american single malt it it beat out the likes of driftless skill in and um high west and a handful of other folks that i was able to try um you know I, I, you should be paying attention to them and you should continue to pay attention to what they've got going on um and then the next one it just kind of came out of the blue for me. I, I haven't talked about this particular brand. I haven't done anything with this particular brand, but uh, I got an opportunity to try their American single malt um, from one of one of my peers, um, David from Whiskey My Wedding Ring, shared their American single malt with me. And it specifically, it was the um, barrel strength. I, I did not see this coming. I didn't expect this to to slap me in the mouth. Um, it did come in second alongside the High West High Country uh, single malt that they put out, but just out of nowhere, just absolutely out of nowhere. And this is what I really like about exploring new brands is that sometimes, sometimes you come to a thing that you've never, ever tried before. It goes back to if you can get to a whiskey event, if you can make friends with other people who are collecting bottles, do whatever you can so that way you get the opportunity to share samples between each other because there are some phenomenal things that are happening out there and you can't buy them all. You know, it's like collecting baseball cards or comic books or Pokemon. Uh, it's really tough to get 100% of them. Now, the next category um, is going to be rye. Um, Rye is one of those spirits that for a long time I assumed that I did not like uh, for a lot of reasons. But what I have subsequently learned is that I actually do like rye. Um, maybe I don't like the super dilly rye, but anything that's herbal and got tea notes and sometimes it's dark, uh, dark fruits and sometimes it's chocolate and sometimes it's citrus, whatever. There's a lot of really, really interesting things that are happening. And so I wanted to taste through some rise as well. And in, in the, the second place spot are two brands that I've already talked about barrel, um, their rye batch number four, and then wilderness trail, um, had a, a rye as well, not a rye bourbon, but a rye whiskey, um, that performed really, really well. But the one that that hit for me is going to be New Riffs Malted Rye. Um, this is 100% malted rye mash bill. Um, it's sort of, it's it, it just surprised me. And I guess maybe it shouldn't have surprised me because of what they've been doing. I don't know if you notice uh, some of these uh, experiments that they've been doing. They've had a backsetter rye and a Balboa rye and a maltster bourbon with malted rye. There's a lot of rye experimentation that is happening at New Riff. Now, all of their offerings, and, and I've had the opportunity to, to, to do a single barrel pick at New Riff a couple of years ago. And what they're doing is great. They're, they're a fun brand to keep an eye on. 
uh, and and see what they have coming up next. But as far as surprising rise for twenty for me in twenty twenty three, um, New Riff really kind of knocked it out of the park. Um, now I'll stop. I'm going to stop sharing uh, my screen now, and we'll kind of get into the last few um, tasting efforts. And in the the next realm, I felt it was only fair to separate these out. Um, we have Ambirana finished whiskeys and I was able to try quite a few in 2023. And it's one of the most divisive finishes that exists in the North American whiskey marketplace right now. But it would, it would behoove all of us to sort of pay attention to it. And there are a few folks that were doing some really interesting things with the Ambirana finish, um, in 2023. Uh, and all three of these sort of sit in the top of my tastes and uh I'll, I'll talk about barrel again barrel is now in three different categories uh in my segment and technically maybe four if you were to consider their um, tale of two islands which is their uh, bourbon that was finished in a cast that at one point in time um, held rum and the rum was finished in a cast that had held peated whiskey so you could maybe get there but it wasn't um it was just one that everybody should chase down but their Ambirana finish that they did in their cask finishing series this year was probably one of the most um, well put together versions of the Ambirana finish. It was very refined and um, not quite as sweet and cloying as some of them can be. And then behind that, um, Dark Arts and uh, Forgate, both of them have fantastic Ambirana finishes um, that they did this year. So these next two, I'll sort of lump together, and and this is something that I probably should do an entire episode on. But I think that every every bourbonophile, bourbonite, bourbon fanatic, whatever you want to call them, should be chasing year in and year out. They should be chasing down the Elijah Craig Barrel Proof um, releases as well as the Booker's releases. Um, I've yet to enter a time whenever I don't think that. Either one of those are worth the price. They're, they're, they're things that should be there. But but people have very distinct opinions um, on which one's the best and whether it's worth the money anymore and the age and the proof and all of these different things. Um, so I'll, I'll start with Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. And this one would be straightforward. It's just going to be a first, second, third. But all of them score above the three-point range for me. Um, my third favorite is B539. My second favorite is A123. And my third favorite, or my first, my single best favorite is 923. Um, all of them are four or three-point whiskeys for me. Um, you can do all you want to compare them against the pirate bottles or the older blends or whatever. Um, at the end of the day, you can't go back. And unless you still have sample of those samples of those to put side by side, you're really comparing current taste against your uh, memory profile. And your memory profile is regularly going to be better than what it actually was at that time. Um, I liken it to this. There'll be family members, and this is going to sound terrible, but there will be family members that will pass away that you thought were an absolute jerk. But five years after they've passed away, they're now all of a sudden this really kind person um, because absence and, and time from moment makes everything better than it actually was. So, you know, we, we remember that trip to Disney as a child much, much more fondly than it actually was. Because uh, at the end of the day, when you were there, everybody was hot and angry and fighting and um, everything was too expensive and you were upset. And then whenever you forget those things, you only remember the positive things. It's great. What I'm saying is, unless you have them to, par to parallel taste, it would be inaccurate to do a comparison, historically speaking. Um, in Booker's, so Booker's is is pretty easy. The Storyteller was my favorite for the year. And Mighty Fine and Charlie's were on par with each other, I think. And The Apprentice is the only one that I think flagged off of not being as good as the rest. But at the end of the day, they were all above two points, meaning that they got at least one point on nose, palate, or finish each, right? So, or I guess one point on nose or palate or finish, uh, one point on nose or palate or finish as well. Um, they, they were all fantastic releases. The prices are going up. The prices are going up on everything. Bourbon's a luxury item. If we're really talking about the limited allocation releases, chase these instead of going after BTAC because at least they're going 
to to be more affordable, more attainable, and likely more tasty if you were to put them in a blind tasting. Um, the last bit we'll run through. So uh, we have this grouping. I have this grouping called toasted or finished. Um, and these are either going to be wine finishes, toasted finishes, French oak finishes, um, different spirit finishes. I don't really know how to categorize some of these items um, or um, just kind of sort of anything else. So the first round, maybe it, it, the, the best thing to talk about is Old Line did a Sauternes finish. So keep in mind, pay attention to Old Line. Jack Daniels, their finishing series, I think is is doing really, really well. I like their American single malt that was Oloroso finished significantly better than I liked their 11 or 10 year or their 12 year releases. Um, uh, Midwinter Nights Dram Act 11, fantastic. Pay attention to what's going on at High West. I've already said it twice now, and this is the third time because there's also going to be a fourth time. Their prisoner share that they did was fantastic as well. Um, Doc Swenson's did a French oak. Dark Arts did a French oak. Both are, are something you should pay attention to. RD1. Um, so RD1, Doc Spence's, Dark Arts, all of these in the finishing world appear to be doing really, really well. Um, and then the the last bit, their Penelope did a handful of things. You know, everybody was chasing down Rio. I think they probably should have been paying attention more attention to, to Valencia or Rose Cask. Um, Watershed. So Watershed, I haven't mentioned anywhere on this list before, and it's not uh, for lack of anything other than I just haven't tried a ton of things from them yet. Um, I have a single bottle. I've, I've been able to try their, I think it was their um, Pumpernickel Rye um, Spirit prior to aging. I was able to taste some of that. And then their um, standard offering I've had, there was a, a sample in the Eve's Blind back in 2021 or 22, whatever year that was <laughs> that happened. I don't remember, but they have a Nocino or Nokino. I don't know how to pronounce it. Apologize. I'm from Western Kentucky. Give me a break. Um, but the Nocino finish that they did was the first time I'd ever had that finish in my life. And, and it was um, pretty surprising. And then Taconic. Taconic out of um, the Northeast is doing some really, really great things with finishing. And so I I'll kind of full stop the list at that point um, that gives us the places where I think people should be paying attention based off of things that I actually tasted. Um, there's also some place to pay attention in Irish whiskey. Um, I had an opportunity to talk to Watershed um, towards the end of the year and taste some of the things that they're doing. I think there's a lot of growth. Um, I think there's probably some similar growth that happened in the North American marketplace that will happen in the Irish whiskey marketplace in the next few years, because um, there used to be a lot of them. Then there was a few of them and now they're starting to gain um, some credence again. American single malt will always be the thing that I'm going to bring up and I'll continue talking about them this year. Armagnac, um, for folks who want to chase age statements and want to chase old things, start paying attention to Armagnac before that price starts going up significantly. Uh, I'm still doing what I can to try to find somebody to come and talk to me about this. It just so happens that most of the folks that want to talk about that are uh, in England or in Europe somewhere. And so there's a significant time zone difference and that makes it a little bit harder. Uh, rum. Rum is another place to pay attention. I'm seeing more and more samples of rum showing up from peers and friends on a regular basis. And as much as uh, rum kicks back and forth between scotch and, and American whiskey, as far as finishing types, it, I guess it makes sense for those things to be there. Um, in the world of innovation, um, pay attention to what Jack Daniels is doing with the, the pecan, their American single malt, and some of their advanced aging. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the 10 and 12 year this year, but I was a big fan of the 10 and the 12 year last year. Their barrel-proof ryes are always great. It's just something that you need to have your eyeballs on. Uh, Green River, we already talked about a little bit. Spirits of French Lick. I don't know if I can champion what Alan Bishop is doing enough. Um, what I do know is that uh, he is tiring of the bourbon folks who who kind of what I was talking about earlier are sick of tasting corn and he wants to do some more experimentation. I think that's something that everybody should pay attention to. Bardstown bourbon company is always somebody to pay attention to their, um, their goose Island stout finish was one of the best, uh, whiskeys that I tasted, but I wasn't able to revisit for this list. 
Um, but it was good enough that if anybody comes across it, I would recommend buying a model at a retail price. It's absolutely worth it. Their origin series were good, um, you know, and they're going to continue to get better. Um, things that I was able to taste as a result of um, episodes that I did in 2023 that beg repeating. Uh, Found North Peregrine, Forgate Kelvin 60, uh, Barrels A Tale of Two Casks, the Old Line American Single Malt Standard, the Waterford Coffee. Uh, Kentucky Owl Owl Maester, and that one is one that a lot of folks, a lot of whiskey nerds are really kind of getting into dumping on that, and I think that that, um, I think there's an opportunity where I could probably put together a blind and send it to them, and they would pick it um, much higher than they're saying, right? I think that it became really popular to kind of negate that brand after Dixon left because he was everyone's darling in North America. And then um, things changed. I, I think that it's something you should pay attention to what they've got going on. Uh, Broken Barrel Heresy Rye. So I got a chance to talk to Seth a couple of times this year, and that was super great. And then um, always, always going to talk about uh, the guys at American Mash and Grain. Borrowed Page Volume 2 was, is fantastic. I cannot wait to see what Borrowed Page Volume 3 is going to be like. Um, I would expect sometime in 24 for those guys to, to hop on this podcast, talk about what they're continuing to do. Um, and, you know, if if either one of them happens to be listening, there's a better than average chance I may end up out in Denver this summer, and I'm going to do my dead level best to pop in on them. Uh, but I'm going to do it with almost no notice, so that way it surprises, maybe it t- catches them off guard. So, that takes me to 2023. Um, 2024, I've already had some fantastic interviews. I've got a lot more lined up. Um, 2023 was a little bit of a lull year for the podcast in and of itself. It was a place where I was you know, trying to rediscover whether I wanted to keep doing this or not. And um, it, it's, it, it's, there's no question anymore. Absolutely, we'll keep doing this. Absolutely, we're, we're I'm, I'm, I'm catching a little bit more traction. Uh, folks are interested in what's happening here. Um, it's still a niche community that, that are paying attention to this particular podcast. And I appreciate everyone who is here. Um, you know, I, I don't think that when I started this three years ago that I expected to, to continue on for multiple years. Uh, you know, I figured it was going to be a year or two project. And then after that, I would kind of um, jettison it, but that's not been the case. It's, it's continuing forward. And so I uh, appreciate everybody that's still here. You know, I hope maybe you've made it through this entire hour worth of me just rambling incoherently about things that everybody should be trying. But um, at the end of the day, that's what this all started from is there's a passion for North American spirits. There are people that want a little bit more of a connection with it. And hopefully some folks that are not just chasing what every other influencer is trying to do. They're chasing an interesting conversation and a humanization of these brands in a way that is distinctly different than what a lot of other people are doing. So um, thanks for tuning in for this final wrap up episode from 2023. Um, If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you're consuming this on and uh, leave a comment if possible. Send me an email, embellishpod at gmail.com if you can. Um, You can hit me up on social media, TikTok or Instagram at embellishpod. Um, You can follow and kind of see what's going on as as episodes are starting to release and uh, starting to explore using AI to help me release things and uh, be a little more informative in show notes and things of that nature. Um, you can always go to my website at www.embellishpod.com and that should take you to the podcast, um, website. There should be some links for, you know, other social media accounts and whatnot and contact details and all of that stuff. So, um, if you're still here, once again, thanks for stopping by and, and we'll see you on the next episode.